0: Good morning, afternoon and evening and welcome back to the TT Podcast. On this week's agenda is the tale of a Vuelta winning ski jumper and we'll be giving our highly anticipated and apparently highly predictable teams of the season. Joining me as ever is a man who knows his Ronda from his rube, his Rog from his Pog. Tom, how are you?
1: Yeah, good evening everyone. I'm very disappointed to have relinquished control back this week but uh, it's we're, we're back into our comfort zones and yeah, looking forward to, uh, well, analyzing the, the rest of the welter, which as we know, sadly was the last race of the season and then going back over the rest of the season as well.
0: We've come a long way, I think. I, mean, I remember back, I think the, the condensed season restarted on the 1st of August. What's that? Just over three months ago. Uh, and we've had three grand tours, almost all the monuments and classics between then. Um, it's been very intense. I feel like I'm getting withdrawal symptoms now. I, I've realised this weekend there's no cycling on the TV to watch and I'm going to be able to reclaim my weekends now which I don't know if is a good thing or a bad thing.
1: I wish I could say the same but I've, I've I've already lined up plenty of other sports to watch over the weekend. I will fill the cycling void but uh, and then obviously there's the usual hour per day of Philippe Gilbert and Mark Cavendish videos that I have to get my fix on
0: watching all their tour wins to date yeah (laughs) um let's start then with the Vuelta let's recap that final week of the Vuelta um since we last spoke about So we last spoke about it I think just after the time trial between now and then there's been a few decent stages but I think the the main one that we'd like to talk about is that penultimate stage on the Alto de la Covatia. Tom when you were watching it what percentage of your mind thought Roglic could lose this here
1: Oh, it really went back and forth. Like every 100 meters on the road, I was, you know, you're looking at the time gaps, I'm going, he might lose this. And then I'm going, like, literally 200 meters, they turn around another hairpin. I'm like, oh no, he's got this now. Yeah, he's managed this really well. And it was just really hard to tell until he crossed the line. Uh, Carapaz made it very exciting.
0: This well, I was watching it. I mean, also, before we talk about the coveteer, we should probably say well done to David Gaudu for winning, but also apologies to David Gaudu the fact that his win has almost been made irrelevant by the this GC the battle that we're was going happening to behind him. him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's very good. Let's, let's talk about him very briefly. That's kind of what happens when your leader bows out of a race and you give free reign to the lieutenant, which makes me very excited for what Sep is eventually going to be able to do. Also, I, talking about Sepkusk actually, I think it was the first time on that climb that I have seen Sepkus let out some sort of inkling of a grimace when he's riding a bike. As soon mm. as Carapaz and Carthy started attacking, he kind of looked down at his stem, grit his teeth and just like waved his arm to be like, right, Roglic, you've got to come around now. I've, the tank well, they is attacked. empty.
1: Carapaz attacked late, I thought. Um, as I said, Dave Brailsford must have had all the info, all the um, all the stats. There would have been a specific white line on the road that he'd numbered and said this is where you attack but it came surprisingly late for me which means Cuss probably had more or less emptied the tank by then.
0: Tom I want to do a little kind of focus in on our boy Primoz Roglic here. Um, do you know by any chance what sports Primoz Roglic did before he was a cyclist?
1: Uh, I do and I believe you've already mentioned it because I, I actually used to spend quite a lot of my childhood on Eurosport watching ski jumping so you knew you discovered Primo's Roglic then I didn't know Primos Roglic but I can talk to you about Simon Amman and Gregor Schlierenzauer and people all you want I do know some ski jumpers
0: see those names mean nothing to me and I just got a kind of flash of what it must sound like listening to this podcast our yeah. friends <laughs> that we coerce into listening to this that aren't actually into cycling um Primoz Roglic was a very good ski jumper um people kind of just know like they have the ski jumper thing and then that gets passed on um what people don't a lot of people don't recognize i think anyway what i didn't know anyway so i'm grouping that into everybody else is so on his website there's a link to the youtube video of his crash that basically put him out of ski jumping it was on the largest ski jump in the world in 2007 is He is was on planica seven. it's exactly it's the planica in Slovenia. Good, you <laughs> did watch your ski jumping didn't you i did, I did. the crack is a really nasty crash um He's trying to jump, I think, beyond 200 meters, and he crashes after about 40 meters and rolls the rest of it. Apparently, he only broke his nose, but had a very bad concussion that kind of put him out of ski jumping. Started riding a bike in 2012, um, and then joined Lotto El Jumbo, now known as Jumbo Visma, in 2016. So he was only really riding a bike for four years before he joined the World Tour team. As we did with his fellow Slovenian, Tadej Pogacar, I've been on his website, Primoz You will be glad, Tom, to know that Primoz Roglic also has a logo.
1: I was just about to ask.
0: Would you like the description under the subheading, the meaning of the logo? Yes, please. Okay, here it goes. The shape of the logo comes from an old bicycle head badge. Quick aside, I don't know what that means. Uh, In this case, (laughs) the logo represents the top cyclist, Primoz Roglic, a Slovenian eagle a former ski jumper whose wings begin to form an atypical laurel wreath, which marks only those athletes who will go down in the history of sports for all eternity. The logo is designed so that it wants to fly into the sky, which means that Primoz never stops.
1: Again, quite poetic. It could, maybe it flows a bit
0: better in Slovenian, I don't know,
1: but uh, not quite as long-winded as um, Tadej Pogac's one was.
0: So I've actually, I've made a note and I don't know if, if it, listening to that made you think back to Tade's and there's a lot of similarities in them.
1: It's hard to envisage the logo if you haven't, I haven't seen Rogue Riches before. It's hard to envisage it just from that description.
0: Yeah, let me see. I can see if I can describe it to you. It's essentially, it's a bike wheel with some wings and the letter R above it. It's less, it's what it is. Basically, it's very similar to Tally Pogacar's, except for Tally Pogacar's had a wolf head. Um, where the bike wheel is, and it had a chain ring in the wolf's mouth. Roglic's logo has the word, well, incorporates the word top. Obviously, we remember Tally Pogacar's logo T O P. Yeah, yeah. To be top. Um, they also both mentioned the laurel wreath. Pogacar's one mentioned the foliage of the bay tree, which we
1: well that the laurel wreath goes back to um, that was a Roman tradition, wasn't it? You'd get yeah. a a laurel crown for was that gladiators or something like that.
0: Well, a Slovenian Chariot races. A Slovenian Eagle in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe they've just hired the same freelance graphic designer in Slovenia. They're maybe very there's similar. only one
1: graphic designer in Slovenia.
0: Yeah, he does all the all the logos. But well, they're the only ones that seem to have logos as well. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously Primoz won the Vuelta in the end. As we did on the stage on the Anglery, I wanted to kind of draw attention to a rider on the covetia. Um, did you read about Ian Garrison of, of Quickstep?
1: Not recently,
0: no. So, Ian Garrison of Quickstep, he's an American rider. He was dropped from the peloton on that penultimate stage. Uh, he was then dropped from the gruppetto at the back.
1: Ooh, that's brutal.
0: He rode alone and came in 15 minutes behind David Godu. Um I'm not sure there was a time cut, but I'd imagine that the organisers would have made a concession and let him ride into Madrid.
1: 15 minutes on a stage like that isn't... Should be well inside the time cut anyway, shouldn't
0: it? 50, five 0
1: Oh, f- f- right. Okay, maybe not then.
0: <laughs> it's a long time to be riding at the back by yourself. I, I, I didn't get a note of the specific moment he was dropped, but I imagine it was somewhere near the foot of the climb and he had to do that final, whatever it was, 11, seven kilometres? 11 kilometres, 11 kilometres.
1: Well, he obviously didn't get mentioned in any of the coverage I was watching.
0: No, and sadly, neither did David do really, who won the stage.
1: <laughs> no, I was less upset about that
0: um davigodoo super domestique which i think moves us on to our teams of the season i mean no spoilers <laughs> but davigodoo sadly is not in mind. but we've the format we've taken for our teams of the season um we decided that what we do is we wanted to kind of spotlight domestiques who often get overlooked in these end of year review style things so what tom and i are going to deliver to you now is our gc rider two domestiques a sprinter and a classics slash one day rider from this season. Uh, We put this to Twitter beforehand um, and one of our followers, uh, Inigo has either seen our notes or our teams are very predictable and has put out the exact same team and got a lot of people agreed with him. So um, if you haven't seen that, then um, (laughs) Tom, do you want to start with who your uh, GC rider is?
1: Well, I was just going to add that obviously you and I speak to each other throughout the week. And we both purposefully said, we're not going to reveal who we're picking until we record this podcast. It will come as a surprise. And then we put this tweet out and everyone's tweeted the same team in that we would both already picked.
0: Yeah. Tom messaged me saying, oh yeah. So the problem here is that he's just tweeted out the exact team that I was going to say. And I was like, right, well let's double down on this problem because that is the exact team that I had as well. <laughs> um, which I think, if anything, the you know, not having the uh the confusion about it um makes it very clear that these riders pick themselves in this team.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to really who has who has ridden the most races. Obviously you get the most attention in the Grand Tours, and there's not many riders who have doubled up. I don't think anyone did all three this year. It was impossible because the Giro and the Welter went at the same time. Um Well, it so could there's... have been
0: possible. You could have ridden the first few stages of the Giro. I wouldn't have fancied it, though. Well, you could have made, you put yourself in the history annals with that one, really. You'd have been the only rider to have done all three Grand Tours in 2020.
1: Not completed, uh, well, Adam Hansen's normally the man for that sort of thing. I don't even. I don't think even he managed it.
0: Yeah, and our fellow Tom, Thomas de Gendt, who gets his customary shout-out on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so, are we going to kick off with the GC rider?
0: Yeah, do you want to give your GC rider? I know it was also mine. They're all the same on all of them, unless you've changed since we last spoke about this.
1: I don't think I have, My GC rider is Primoz Roglic. Why have you chosen Uh, Primoz? Because apart from one stage in the Tour de France, he has been absolutely dominant.
0: Um, He wore yellow for 11 days, red at the Vuelta for 13 days. So that's 24 days in total this year in leaders jerseys at Grand Tours.
1: It's incredible. and I mean, his record extends back further into last year as well. He's just been remarkably consistent for almost two years now. Uh, I know he's got the team around him, and I, but he's just supremely talented and on top of his game. And I, he is back in the world number one position now as well, isn't he?
0: He is. Yeah, the UCI put out their final rankings of the season, and he's bunny hopped Tadej Pogacar. I think rightfully so. I mean, Tadej did very well in the in the tour, but Roglic has won has gone on to win a lot more since then. To
1: ha- to have that form in two grand tours, and in between that, be able to win a classic race in Belgium as well, is unbelievably impressive.
0: You mentioned Primoz Roglic, the strength of his team, um, helping him be so successful this year. That moves on to, I think, who our first domestique is. uh,
1: I'm one of our favourite men. He's becoming very quickly.
0: Roglic's lieutenant, the Durango kid, Sepkus. Sepkus. Again, just... What is there more to say about Sepkus?
1: I don't know. Just... Unbelievable consistency. This entire jumbo team has been more or less,
0: but those two in
1: particular, whenever it got to the sharp end of any mountain stage, you knew that Primos Roglic was there on the back wheel of Sepp Kuss. As soon as he got a, sort of basically above the tree line, he was the one who was there leading it. That's when Wout van Aert and people dropped off and Sepp Kuss took over as the, that's when the real climbing started.
0: Yeah, and this is the issue, I think, is you have to give a kind of shout out to riders like Robert Hessink who do who plow into the climbs from the bottom. But as soon as the TV coverage... But as soon as the TV coverage starts getting a bit more irate and busy, that's when Kuss is, you know, in the middle of your screen. So he's getting all the media attention. Maybe, you know, maybe we're being a bit monofocal with this, but Sepp Kuss is selflessness embodied. He has what I would refer to as the Palmares of a super domestique, which is essentially a blank Palmares. Yeah. (laughs) This season... Um, his only major win this season came in Stage Five of the Dauphiné, after Primoz Roglic has already had already crashed out. And that's when he's given taken off the leash and just allowed to go. And that's when they said, "Yes, yeah, Sep, you can win this one if you want." And he was like, "Yeah, go on, and might as well." I've always found it quite strange the way the commentators talk about
1: him because when he was going up those climbs in the Tour, and it was against people like Carapaz and Danny Martinez, and they they were giving real attention to these. People from South America who grew up in the Andes saying, you know, they've got real mountains. They know they're climbing. And they've completely failed to mention that Sepkus is from the middle of Colorado and it's 4,000 meters plus everywhere around him.
0: Yeah, he's, um, came up, he grew up on mountain bikes. He was raised in the mountains.
1: Yeah, it's, it's real mountains. I mean, they're higher than the Alps, the Rockies. He's got better mountains closer to, or better higher mountains closer to where he grew up than anyone in Europe does.
0: Let's move on to our second domestique. And I think for the first time, and we may well come back to Jumbo Visma, but we're just veering away from Jumbo Visma for a second. Tom, who have we got as our second domestique?
1: We have, I believe, Rohan Dennis.
0: We do, yes. That's
1: certainly who I had in mind, all really for that last week of the Giro.
0: He's rode his way into our hearts with his, in the same way, and I think... We both have a very soft spot for riders that go on the front and plow into mountains.
1: Mm-hmm. It's what Cus
0: did, it's what Dennis did. Surprisingly or not so surprisingly, um, if you remember, before when we were in lockdown, in the depths of lockdown, Team Ineos uh, did an Alpdu Zwift challenge, which is a challenge off the mock up of Alpdues on Zwift. Do you know who won that challenge?
1: I'm going to be incredibly disappointed and confused if it wasn't Rowan Dennis now.
0: It was Rowan Dennis, and he won it by a minute on Eddie That's... Dunbar. But also, I mean, Froome was participating, in, like all the big guys were participating in it. Um, but putting a minute into them on a fake Alp Duez shows that he had it to climb up mountains, and it's exactly what he did on the scale well, for Teo.
1: We know that he's a fantastic time trialist. He's obviously got that power. He's a, what, how many times time trial world champion? I don't know about it on Zwift because um, when you're not actually going up the mountain, it might be easier to just sit on your turbo and just tap out the rhythm like it is a time trial.
0: Yeah, perhaps. But I mean, it carries across very well and that's what he did and it worked very well for Well, I
1: mean, he, he did it in Grenadiers. the actual mountains as well, yeah. And um, yeah, more or less just burnt off the entire peloton on his own day after day, didn't he?
0: Is that the pitch that always comes to mind? Well, I say always in the last like three weeks is the image of Teo and Jai Hindley going up, I think it was a stelvio and they think Dennis has dropped off and finished his turn. And Jai Hindley tries to attack, and Dennis comes around, both of them, stops Jai Hindley in his tracks, and was like, right, I guess I'll keep going then until Teo, uh, till Teo wants to win this one.
1: Yeah. Uh, as I say, it was just... They seem to have a couple of them now, In Ineos, obviously, Filippo Ganna as well, where they they seem to sort of replace this. Your natural climate doesn't look like what these two guys look like, but they've just got so much power in there that they're still able to do it.
0: Well, as we were discussing last week, I mean, climbers nowadays are just so atypical that there is no climbing physique anymore. You've got Ghana who wore the mountains classification Jersey who weighs 80 kilograms. You've got Hugh Carthy, who's six foot four, who's winning kind of high mountain stages. Um, Gone are the days of your tiny riders. Well, maybe not gone. They'll probably still win. But, um, you know, it's less predictable.
1: And your Alberto Contadors. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's much less predictable these days. So I think let's move on then to our sprinter. And I think this one is one that... It could be a number of options. We've both settled on the same one. But as our Twitter post showed, a number of people also think Caleb Ewan could have been it. Um, That's probably a bit of a spoiler because we haven't picked Caleb Ewan. We have gone with... (laughs) uh sam bennett
1: yeah i i'm a big fan of sam bennett mostly i imagine because he's irish but um again i think it's going to be a running theme throughout this segment but it comes down to consistency uh sam bennett i i did think at the beginning of the tour caleb Ewan won a couple of early sprints and i was thinking he is going to clean up he looks as long as he doesn't crash as long as he doesn't get blocked off he just looks far better than anyone else. And then Bennett came right back at him. And there were a couple of stages, certainly Paris on the last day has, uh, springs to mind, where, you know, in even in a flat-out sprint for the line with very few complications, Bennett was the fastest man. And Coupled with that, he rode the mountains far better. Uh, the way he kept the green jersey in the tour, I thought was very impressive. And then he came to the welter and immediately started winning stages there until he got relegated on one and then didn't really hear from him again.
0: I think what well, you make a good point there with the green jersey at the tour. It's a very difficult thing to fend off Peter Sagan winning the green jersey. It seems set in stone at the start of every tour because Sagan wins on the intermediates so or he picks up points. He does it very tact- 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 tactically. Tactically? He does it very tactically. And um, I think when you talk about consistency, I want to raise another rider to you, which is Arnaud Demar, who
1: Mm -hmm.
0: has more wins than Bennett this season. I was surprised when I was looking back at the wins Bennett has had this season. So Bennett has won, he won two stages of the Tour, obviously including Paris and the green jersey. He won one stage at the Vuelta, obviously he got relegated, but that's three stage wins this season, which I think Mm -hmm. for a sprinter, you'd expect a couple more than that.
1: You know, I think DeMar suffers because he didn't ride the Tour. As we said, that, that is the big one. That is where you're going to get the most recognition. So, and, and at the Tour, as I say, the world's best sprinters were there. Because I think in, in terms of sprinting in the last couple of years, Caleb Ewan has been the one to beat. And as impressive as it was, what DeMar did at the Giro, you could argue that it was against a weaker field than what there was at the Tour.
0: Well, this is what I wanted to say. I mean, obviously, you can't take anything away from demar and you can only win the races that you're entered into, which is what he did very well. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, for me, the three fastest sprinters in the world at the moment are Sam Bennett, Caleb Ewan, and Dylan Groenevagan. All
1: right, interesting you say that, because I'd completely forgotten about Groenevagan, who hasn't really been seen since that, crashing the tour of to, tour of Poland, has he?
0: Well he's been he's just picked up a nine month ban, I think. So um yeah. we're not gonna be seeing him anytime soon.
1: No, because the when you said for three, the third one who sprung to mind for me as well was Pascal Ackerman.
0: Ackerman as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would I would but this is the thing, I, I think Ackerman is a faster sprinter than Arno Demar.
1: These late sprints, the the later stages in the Vuelta, Ackerman's cleaned up, hasn't he?
0: Another, well, our final rider to round off our team. So we've got Primoz Roglic, Sepkus, Rowan Dennis, Sam Bennett. The final rider to round off our team is our classics rider, our one-day rider, and also apparently an incredible sprinter, um, is Wout van Aert. Yeah, also could have
1: been in with a shout-out for a domestique role as well.
0: Yeah, maybe GC Uh, in the future as
1: well. He's just an an unbelievable all-rounder, but his classic season, especially early on was particularly impressive and well no it was impressive later on as well but his late season was characterized by sort of eternally finishing in second
0: whereas he did win quite a few early on so he won let's go i'll, I'll go through the list he won a monument in milan sanremo he won a classic in strada bianchi um he won two stages at the tour de France. Um, he came second at the World Championships in the road race, second in the time trial and second in the Ronde van Blanderen. That's not a bad season, is it?
1: That's not a bad season, especially when you consider the work he did up the climbs in the Tour as well. He was winning sprint stages and then the next day, leading the peloton up um, the Col de la Loze.
0: That was a horrible, horrible climb. That looked brutal. He, I think he is probably, not that we're saying it, but I think he's probably my rider of the season
1: as an all-rounder, I don't think you can really look past him.
0: Also, it's worth mentioning that he hasn't finished his season just yet. He's just hopped on his cyclocross bike and he's planning on competing in the cyclocross races over the winter now. Well, you'll be watching that. I will be watching that. uh, I kind of want to say as well, watching cross, I really enjoy it. And I've only really recently gotten into it, but it makes me so dizzy. I don't know what it is about the courses, but it's where there's so many cutbacks and like changes in speed and then changes in terrain. They go through some sand, they go through some mud, they go, they run up some steps. It's a lot of like, it's
1: it's whenever they have to get off the bike, whenever the terrain is so bad that you can't ride a bike, I'm going, surely that's too far.
0: There's so much motion on the screen that I I just have no idea where to look. And then, Obviously, it's only over an hour, so the commentators are so hectic. And mm. I'm like, I think I end up with a heart rate probably about the same as the winning rider at the end of it. The start
1: is like, it's like watching the Grand Prix, this sprint down to the first corner. It matters so much just to get in position, doesn't it?
0: Exactly. So it's has got a crazy. massive benefit bit leading, out, leading the race, being on mm. the front. You get to pick the line on all the corners. So, yeah, essentially, if you're not in the first, like, four or five riders on the front, you're not going to win it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that takes you back to um, Wout van Aert and obviously Mathieu van der Poel going, because if I had to pick one issue with Wout van Aert's season, it's that towards the end, he obviously, he did finish second at the Worlds, which really, I think there he's a victim of his own success because no one wanted to take him to the line because he would sprint them. And that gave the opportunity for Julian Alaphilippe to get the jump. But then as a Belgian, Flemish to be beaten on the line in Flanders, um, by uh, also by his biggest rival, who he, you know, quite outwardly in the press said he doesn't really
0: like either. I, that, that's a horrible way to end the season. I don't know. I think he was he's won the fans' hearts, really. It's going to be a hell of a battle seeing those two compete against each other. I, hopefully, Mathieu van der Poel will race in some sort of Grand Tour next season. I
1: uh, would like to see that. And there's talk of... Um, Giant Alpecin is that his team? Alpecin Phoenix. Alpecin Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I've got that wrong. That's a, yeah. Anyway, um, there was talk of them being given a full world tour license next year, in which case they they're automatically invited to all the races. It just depends on how much Matthew Van Der Poel wants to still do
0: cyclocross. <laughs> <laughs> um, in addition to our team of the season, um, obviously they are all male riders. Tom and I agreed, kind of off. Air, really, that there is only really one choice for the female rider of the season. Uh, Anna van der Bregen has had a phenomenal season. Um, just as I did with Wart van I'll just to run through th- some of the things that she's won. She won the gold medal, so she, she became the world champion in the road race and in the time trial. After that, she went on to win Flesch Wallone. Uh She also, prior to that, won the Giro Rossa, which is the nine-stage uh, women's Giro d'Italia, which is the longest stage race i think in the in the women's world tour calendar when you win the big ones you you can't get looked past really not
1: really um and again it comes down to consistency there are probably riders who on their day would be anna van der breggen but they didn't show up for whatever reason injuries crashes and just a lack of consistency she was there she was on form and she was at the sharp end of every race for an entire season so there's no arguing with that really is there
0: Tom, I'd like to round things out with a final hurrah for the season, uh, an end of season quiz, which starts with a Vuelta note because we never really had a big Vuelta quiz. Um, there are five questions and a lot of bonus points up for grabs. Are you yeah, ready? I'm quite
1: worried about this one because I'm not sure how much of the season I can remember in depth.
0: Have you done much revision for this? Have you uh, looked through some of the, uh, the big races? No, but I did watch them all.
1: I'm assuming I can just remember them, but at, at a moment's notice, I'm, I'm you'll be,
0: you'll quite be nervous all of a sudden. How quickly the amnesia kicks in.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so question one. Vuelta, stage six, was meant to go up the Col du Tourmalet, but due to COVID restrictions, we were limited to the borders of Spain and it finished on the Formigal. Which Izaguirre won the stage? <laughs> Eon or Gorka? Eon. Correct. Yes. Did you know that one or was that just the 50-50? Uh,
1: I th- I'm pretty sure I knew that one. Uh, before, I didn't realise it was going to be multiple choice. And when I heard the question I, in my head, I thought Eon.
0: Did you know that, this is an interesting fact for you, the combativity award for that stage went to Gorka as a hero? That is interesting. It's nice, isn't it? Right, this is where I'm going to give you a chance to win a lot of bonus points. <laughs> um the bonus points this year obviously not this year this question um and Isagire, Yon and Gorka Isagire Gaw- are siblings I'm going to give you a point for every duo of siblings you can name that have competed together this season
1: of this season yeah or right, a that's, An- that's Andy and Frank Schleck out the window
0: no you can't have them <laughs> uh... <laughs> Before you say this, I have 11 that I've written down.
1: There's no way I'm getting that. My, my usual go-to stat for siblings is that Luis Leon Sanchez's brother is a professional footballer who I've signed many times on Football Manager. Who
0: is that? What's his name?
1: Pedro Leon. He used to play for Real Madrid for a while. Oh. Spent a while, spent a long time at Getafe as well.
0: Sadly, he kicks balls, he doesn't ride bikes, so you can't have that one. Brothers, right. Adam and Simon Yates. Yeah, there's a few easy ones you can get early doors, right. Adam and Simon Yates, that's one. Uh, I, I might need some clues. Do you want some clues for the big ones? Please. Um, duo that rode uh, the Tour de France together. Colombian duo that rode at the Tour de France together.
1: The Quintana brothers.
0: Well, I would like their names, please, Tom. Nairo and Dyer. Correct, yep. Yep. Um, the other ones are um, they rode Parry nice together for Bora-Hansgrohe uh,
1: the thing the thing with the Bora-Hansgrohe team is there's just so many German surnames in there that I can't really differ there's so many Ackermans Bookmans uh, and every every Bora-Hansgrohe rider apart from Peter Sagan has a name that ends m
0: a w n Peter Sagan does have a brother now you mentioned it though I didn't mention it you mentioned it yeah, that's the one. Um, do yeah. you know his brother's name? Mm, Martin. No, it's Juraj no. Sagan. He is no, the Slovakian national champion and they rode together in Paris-Nice. Um, what other ones are big ones that you can maybe get? Right, I'll give you the... Do you want me to give you the nationalities?
1: Yeah, but I feel like I'm going to embarrass myself here.
0: I'll, I'll give you the teams, actually. So we have... Kofidis have two sibling duos. Um, AG2R have one. Trek-Segafredo have one. Mitchelton, Scott have two, including the Yateses. Oh, I'll, like I'll, should... I'll see if you can get one more, and then I'll rattle through the list I have.
1: I feel like I should get the Mitchelton ones. Does Luca Mesjec have a brother?
0: Nope. No. Um, he might have a brother, but I don't know if he rides bikes.
1: No. Um, well, that's what I meant, obviously. Yeah, they could all have siblings doing something else. The Cofferdist one, I feel like, is Guillaume Martin. Incorrect. Okay. Well, this is just embarrassing now. So I'd like I'd like all the answers, please.
0: This is why I'm so glad to be back doing the quiz because it gives me <laughs> such joy to say incorrect.
1: Look at um, you on your power trip. Do you want to get the family fortunes noise? <laughs> <Okay. clears throat>
0: <laughs> right. Adam and Simon Yates. Dyer and Nairo Quintana. Peter and Jurej Sagan. We've got those ones. Uh, yeah. I held your hand with a few of them. David and Mathieu van der Poel of and oh. Phoenix. Um, you've got Attilio and Elia Vivian, Viviani.
1: Off- I did not know that Viviani
0: had a brother. Yeah. Julian and Brian Alaphilippe. Uh, they, interestingly, are the only siblings that I found that don't race on the same team.
1: Uh, well, as of now, the Yates are no longer
0: on the same team, are they? Of course, but this is, mm. you know, we're looking back on the season. I, okay, Sorry. The other this one was Jesus and Jose Herrada. Herrada, yeah, I did know that one. AG2R, Lawrence and Oli Narson. Wouldn't have got that. Um, Trek Segafredo, Antonio and Vincenzo Nibali. Nibali, yeah. Uh, the other Mitchelton-Scott one was Estebra- Esteban and Brian... Brian? Oh, I had no idea that... Um... Esteban and Brian Chavez. Chavez, yeah. And then I got one from the Women's World Tour, which is Hannah and Alice Barnes. No, it wouldn't have got... So, um, hey, that was I think all right showing from you. Anyway.
1: I'm, I'm happy with three pairs of siblings. I, that's more than I thought I would get.
0: So three pairs of siblings and Ion Izaguirre, that's four points you've got so far. Um, question two. Froome's, Chris Froome's 11-year journey with the Sky Ineos Empire came to an end this year. How many Grand Tours did he win? Seven right I thought that was going to be a bit more I need a bit more (laughs) deliberating Um, yeah seven's correct what year did he win his first Grand Tour in
1: he was recently awarded the 2011 welter.
0: very nice very good yeah right (laughs) Tom when I say this is question 3 by the way when I say team classification to you what word comes to your mind Movistar Movistar won the team classification in 2 out of 3 Grand Tours this season which one did they not win it in and who won it
1: I do know the answer to this as well. They did not win it in the Giro because Ineos did.
0: Very good. Someone's <laughs> been paying attention. So that is right. Let me, oh God, I've lost count already. Four, five, six points.
1: Ineos in the Giro took the leader's jersey, the young jersey, the, the mountain jersey. What will it? I don't know what color it is
0: in the Giro. The, at the young rider's classification jersey.
1: Yeah. If you're I mean. pedantic. The, the, the young jersey has been recently knitted. And the team classification, they, they took four out of five uh, of the big awards, didn't they? They did.
0: Um, question four, topical. Nobody remembers fourth place. Do you? Where? The three grand tours. Sorry, I should have said that. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, right, so-, so we've got Roglic, Carapaz, Carthy... And in
0: fourth place was... At the Vuelta España.
1: At the Vuelta España, this is, yeah. And give you a point fourth for each place, of these, by the way. Was fourth place Enric Mass?
0: Nope. Oh, okay. You can only have one guess at each of them as well. That's a new rule I've just put in. Um, fourth place at the Vuelta was Dan Martin.
1: Oh, I should have got that. That's annoying. Giro. Giro, I'm not even sure I can remember who came third.
0: <laughs> so we had the two Sunweb two Sunweb riders oh yes I can yes I can yeah on the podium so it was
1: Tao Hindley and the other Sunweb guy who's name Wilco Kelderman yeah so fourth place was you know I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Rowan Dennis did ride himself into fourth place just from being there
0: no it was somebody who wore the pink jersey for quite a while during the race Uh, Jael Almeida Jael Almeida came fourth yeah Um, this is also just really showing that nobody does remember fourth place which is not very (laughs) not very positive for these riders Uh, the Tour de France who came fourth at the Tour de France
1: so Richie Port came third which means fourth place (laughs) (laughs) you say say (laughs) there's a sort of logic in it like it's alphabetical (laughs) or something so we've got Pogaccia we've got Roglic We've got... I'm trying to remember that final time trial. Um, There were loads of Colombians in the top 10 of the tour for a long time. And I'm going to go with... Lopez.
0: Incorrect. (sighs) It begins with an L and he's Spanish-speaking.
1: Which means... He's not from Spain.
0: He could be from Spain. They speak Spanish in Spain. Spain.
1: They do speak Spanish in Spain, but if he's a Spanish from, he speak, is from Spain.
0: Begins with an L. Prize from Movistar.
1: It's not Lopez.
0: Mikel. Mikel Lander. I see. I was very surprised at that as well. I didn't remember that. This Spanish oh, He
1: is just Spanish how... speaking, correct. Not his first language, but uh, <laughs> Spanish speaking nonetheless.
0: Question five. Which rider had the most wins in 2020? Now, I'm going to give you, because you did so poorly on that last one. I'm going to, you're on six at the moment. And I'm going to give you the option. to if you say that, if you manage to get the answer without me giving you the options, I'll give you three points. If you say the answer after I give you the options, you can have one point. So your potential to finish on seven or nine points here, which at the end of the day is very arbitrary.
1: <laughs> which rider won the most?
0: Which rider had the most wins in 2020?
1: Primoz Roglic.
0: Has the second most wins in 2020. Oh, that's a nightmare. I don't know what I've told you. Uh, he is one of the options, actually. So, right, I probably shouldn't have told you that. Um, on, give me the options. The options. Or give me the other two. Right. The options are A, Arno DeMar, B, Primoz Roglic, or C, Filippo Ganna.
1: It must be DeMar. Why must it be DeMar? Because Ganner only wins time trials and there aren't that many.
0: Ghana did a hat-trick of time trials. He won the time trial at the World Championships.
1: Okay, so that's three. I'm sure Demar De won four at
0: the Giro straight away. <laughs> so, so Primoz Roglic tw- had 12 wins. Mm-hmm. Filippo Ganna had seven wins. Arno Demar had 14 wins this season. And yet we yeah. have the cheek not to put him in our team of the season as our sprinter. <laughs> we've chosen didn't somebody didn't win where who it matters, won. did he? He didn't win the green jersey. Hmm. Um, did you enjoy that quiz, Tom? I did. I'd like more of that, please. I like the bonus questions. Um, I think that's about all we've got time for, Tom. Any final remarks on the, the season we've witnessed?
1: No, just that I'm delighted that it actually did take place in the end. I think the organisers all over Europe have done very well to especially at the Giro, because one of us might have predicted that the Giro wouldn't finish at some point, and then it did. Um, the Vuelta, I don't think they had a positive test the whole time, so that's gone incredibly well um, under very difficult circumstances, and hopefully we can get things back to normal starting next year.
0: Yeah, I think this, this season is the season that really changed the term positive test in cycling. <laughs> yeah. um, I think... One thing that really starts me was uh, Ola Chenery did made a tweet the other day uh, that said that this season has made it very easy for viewers to watch, uh, kind of because the, the narrative arc of the condensed season has obviously built this like race narrative where you've got you know Primoz Roglic's redemption arc from losing the mm-hmm. tour to going on to win the Vuelta, winning Liège-Bastogne-Liège. You've got Julian Anna-Philippe winning the world championships. All of that seemed to just blur into one mega novel. Which has been yeah, it was just great. incredible to indulge ourselves in. Now we're going to go cold turkey. Um, we have a number of plans for the next few months to uh, keep us ticking over um, and keep the podcast going. But until then, Tom, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening.
1: Thanks very much, everyone. And see you soon.
0: Take care, everyone. Bye bye.